everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. A funny thing about psychology is that some of the most legendary experiments ever conducted in the field are egregiously unethical by today's standards. From Watson's Little Albert, to Bandura's Bobo Dolls, to Zimbardo's Prison Study, these experiments are ones researchers would, do- would not dare to conduct today and not even dare to propose, honestly. But there's something about experiments like these that makes them part of the foundation on which psychology is built upon. Stanley Milgram's infamous experiment on obedience to authority is perhaps the poster child for this type of category of experiments, the category of unethical but influential. The original article is uh, that you can refer to for this episode is Milgram's original paper on this legendary experiment. It is Milgram, 1963, The Behavioral Study of Obedience from the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology. This is one of the top, <laughs> it depends what you mean by top, but one of the most legendary experiments in psychology. And this is something you'll learn about immediately in intro psychology courses. Maybe it'll even be the first thing you learn. What, let's talk about a little background on this experiment before we dive into what it was, the results of it, the implications of the experiment, and some of the ethical issues it had. The child of Jewish parents who grew up during World War II, Milgram became preoccupied with the very troubling question of how the Holocaust could have occurred. The prevailing wisdom in the 1940s and 1950s was that the Holocaust was primarily the product of a few twisted minds or some bad apples that had perpetuated these evil acts. Milgram, though, suspected that the truth was a lot simpler than this. He came to believe that the underlying psychological processes that give rise to destructive obedience are actually very ordinary. Milgram was fond of the writings of the German author Hannah Arendt, who said that most of the world's wickedness originates not from a handful of cold-blooded villains, but from a large number of perfectly normal citizens who follow orders blindly. So... For a long time, people have been thinking about the idea that we still ponder with today, especially when you look at the criminal justice system in the United States and specifically the the policing department throughout the United States. People think it's a few bad apples that may have that do these these racist things that you see at least on the news every every month. But it happens every day um, behind the scenes. So. This really relates to the systemic racism that's going on throughout the United States. It may not be this idea of bad apples who are uh, to to blame, but rather the system that influences these otherwise decent people to act in ways in opposition to their initial character before they became a part of the system. Milgram's experiment showed how normal people can commit evil acts simply due to orders from an authority figure. Um, he was influenced by how the Germans could have conducted such atrocities on, or I should say the Nazis could have committed such atrocities on the Jews. And he read these things from Arendt about how it maybe isn't just a few evil people, but it's actually, it's the whole system they're in and it can actually influence regular people to commit immoral acts. So this is what Milgram wanted to get at through this research. 
So in the early 1960s, Milgram began to develop an experiment such as this that could provide a window into the causes of why people are obedient to authority figures. He believed that unquestioning acceptance of authority figures is the crucial ingredient in explaining unjustified violence against innocent individuals. And it's it's about this acceptance to authority. It's not about these bad apples or these bad people. It's just the, the system that they're in can poison their minds and make them commit evil acts. So after a few years of pilot testing, Milgram finally hit on the paradigm he wanted, not knowing that it would become one of the most influential in the history of psychology. What is this experiment here? For the podcast listeners, I hope you guys get the gist of it just through audio. I suspect... Most of you guys listening have some interest in psychology or in the Milgram experiment or may have already learned about it and seen the videos on it and hopefully that solidifies it. But if not, I'll try to explain it clearly to those who have never heard of Milgram, uh, let alone his experiment. For the YouTube viewers, maybe I'll post some kind of a graphic on the screen. So volunteers were recruited for an experiment that they thought was investigating learning and memory. So there was an ad in the paper Milgram put out that said, we're investigating learning and memory. Come on out, we'll pay you four fifty, which was quite a sum of money at the time. So forty males signed up for this. They were between twenty and fifty, and they were paid uh, this four fifty just for showing up, not for concluding the experiment, just for being there. At the beginning of the experiment, when they got into the Yale laboratories, they were introduced to another participant, or so they thought. This, this participant was actually what's called a confederate, so this is an actor. And these two participants, really only one was a participant and one was just an actor, they drew straws to determine if either one would be the learner or the teacher in the experiment. This too was fixed, and the confederate or the, the actor, the fake participant, was always the learner. So if I... If I signed up for this study, I got paid my 450 and I walk in there, I always ended up being the uh, the teacher in the case. And then the, the other person who I thought was a participant was actually a fake participant. They were always the learner. So the participant always ended up being the teacher. Um, there was also another fake participant. There was someone called the experimenter who was dressed in a gray lab coat and he was played by another actor. So if there are just three people. There's the experimenter who's not a true experimenter. He's just a guy to look like he's an authority figure in a gray lab coat. There was the other confederate, the learner, who, who wasn't really the learner, um, wasn't really another participant. He was just, there's another actor. And then there was the real person who was the real participant. And this person was the person who was the teacher. So within these, this, the Yale Interaction Laboratory, the fake learner was sent into a room to sit on an electric chair. And the teacher, who was the actual participant, who was paid the 450, was placed in another room with the generator there, the electric shock generator. So as the participant, you see the generator on the wall with all these different levels of electric volts. And as the fake learner, he gets sent into a room that the participant, uh, he's in a totally other room. Um, and He's not really learning anything, but he, they pretend to strap him to an electric chair. Now, imagine the learner on an electric chair and in one room and the participant, the teacher, uh, and the fake experimenter 
who's in a lab coat in the other room. So there are two people in one room and then one person in the other room. The idea is that after the fake learner takes the time to study this, this list of word pairs, the teacher, who's the real participant, tests him by naming a word and asking the learner to recall its partner from a list of four possible choices. So this is the little arbitrary task that Milgram had to create to make the participant actually feel like he's teaching someone and, and it's a study on learning and memory. So the teacher is told to administer an electric shock every time the learner makes a mistake, increasing the level of shock each time. There were 30 switches on the shock generator, marked from 15 volts, which was noted as a slight shock, to 450, danger, severe shock. So that you can tell what this learner's or this teacher's going to have to do. He's going to have to administer these shocks to a participant every time he gets one wrong and increase it every single time. Um, of course, he doesn't know it's it's fake shocks, and and the the other participant, the learner, is in on it too. Um, so the learner, of course, gave mainly wrong answers because that's what he gave it on purpose. He's, he's told to do that as the Confederate. And for each of these wrong answers, the teacher, the actual participant, um, is required by the experimenter to give him an electric shock. Of course, it was a fake electric shock. And the only one who thought it was real was the one who signed up for the study and the one who's administering these shocks. The fake learner in the other room, he would bang on the wall, he would cry out in pain, he would plead for the participant to stop, or he would complain about a fictitious heart condition. Every time he got a, a fake shock, he would scream out as the actor he was, and uh, the participant would just be, he would be so conflicted because he, he, the experimenter was telling him to administer these shocks, so he would just have to keep doing it even through the screams of, of the learner on the other side. If the participant succumbed to his own his own will uh, and he refused to administer a shock because of this empathy for his for the learner's cries the experimenter read out a list of prods to tell the participant that he had to continue the experiment so if you as a participant you're saying hey this guy's hurting here i can't do this anymore the experimenter the first prod he would say is please continue and if you still said, oh, no, there's no way I can do it, he would say, the experiment requires you to continue. If you still were pleading no, he would say, it is absolutely essential that you continue. And then if, if you still didn't want to say on a, another later shock, they would just read it in order. So the, the next one uh, was what the experimenter would say. So the experimenter would say, you have no other choice but to continue. So as this authority figure in the lab go, he was told to just say these four things to the participant and, and Milgram just wanted to see if the participant would succumb to authority or if he would succumb to his own uh, wishes to not hurt this other person. What are the results? What do you guys think? First of all, if you've never heard of the Milgram study, do you think people would actually shock uh, another person just due to this authority figure saying, please continue, or it's absolutely essential that you continue? I, as a first year psychology student, um, a lot of us didn't think we would uh, be the ones to administer that shock. But time and time again, the results show that people do administer the shocks. And these are the results. Well, let's first one. Let's talk about when Milgram first designed the study. He, he asked 40 psychiatrists at Yale University, let alone first year psychology students, to forecast the outcome. And these psychiatrists, these well-trained individuals on behavior, 
They predicted that most participants would break off at 150 volts, and only one in a thousand would go all the way to 450 volts, which is the danger severe shock. They committed what is known as the fundal, fundamental attribution error. They underestimated the impact of the situation on participants' behaviors. This is a common effect in psychology where you see a behavior that you don't approve of. You always blame the person, but you don't actually blame the situation. So the psychiatrists, they didn't understand how much of an impact the situation would have on these participants' behaviors. It turned out that most participants went up to at least 150 volts and 65%, so about two thirds, displayed complete compliance, going all the way up to 450 volts, danger, severe shock. So despite the pleas of the of the fake learner on the other side, they didn't know this learner was fake, by the way, guys. They thought, they thought this was a real participant because they thought they both went into the lab together. They drew straws and that could have been me getting shocked. So they still administered these shocks. They followed the orders, even though this participant was screaming on the other side for them to stop. And often participants assume no responsibility for their actions. After the study was over, one participant claimed, I stopped, but the experimenter made me go on. This is this diffusion of responsibility that you get that people say, oh, I was only taking orders. He says, I stopped. I, I, I stopped. I didn't do any more. But the experimenter made me go on. Well, in the end, you really did go on and you were the one doing those behaviors. But these participants didn't want to assume responsibility. This helps to explain what Milgram was trying to get at. Why did these Nazi soldiers commit all these acts? Surely some people uh, rebelled and some did. But why was it so few? Why did all these seemingly normal people just uh, become malevolent all of a sudden and take these orders? Well, it's, it's just this idea of they were only orders. And when it is only orders, you, you think you have the right to claim that... Um, Oh, I, I wasn't doing anything. I, I stopped. I didn't do it. They told me to do it. So you think you have the right to claim this. Many Nazis made this very excuse for their role in killing thousands of Jews. They didn't want to take responsibility for them doing anything. They claimed they were just following instructions from their superiors. Many Nazis claimed that. Similarly, in other tragedies, look at the My Lai massacre, one of the worst atrocities that happened during the Vietnam War. Um, Lieutenant Cali said that he was just taking orders. So people diffuse their responsibility when there's an authority figure there who's giving them orders. They don't think that they did it. They think that somebody else told them to do it. So the, the responsibility is off me. And maybe that's why people are able to do these things because they don't feel responsibility. People like the Nazis, like Lieutenant Cali in the Vietnam War, like the participants in the Milgram study, often look, pa look to pass the blame to somebody else since they almost can't believe they did the behaviors themselves. Just look how the situation can, uh, is it, can create contemptible behaviors. Being in a situation where there's an authority figure, it can bring the worst out of people if they're giving them orders to do horrible things. We had the episode not too long ago on the Enlightenment about how even some of the most brilliant thinkers in recorded human history paid no attention to uh, racial and gender inequality in in the Enlightenment, in a time when they were enlightened and they were using reason to tackle so many problems, 
they didn't even think about race and gender and slavery. That was all good. And uh, there's no worries here because of the situation they're in, the culture, the society. It's hard to break out of these things. And and this is what this Milgram experiment kind of started to show us. These situational factors have a huge impact on people's behaviors, but we don't understand that. And that's why we commit what is called the fundamental attribution error. We underestimate situational factors in people's misgivings and people's negative behaviors. I've seen this brought up before. It's um, people condemn, for instance, inner city kids for using drugs or, or joining gangs. And they say, why are they doing that? You got to take the personal responsibility, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and don't do that. Why would you do drugs? Why would you uh, be violent? Why would you join a gang? If I was in the inner city, I never would do that. Well, you know what? Maybe you would, because we don't understand how much the situation plays a role on our mind, plays a role on our behavior. And this is what happens to these kids who are in underprivileged areas. So we have to understand that the blame is not necessarily on those kids. It's the system that created that. It's all of the environmental factors that put them in that situation in the first place. Yes, they do have the personal agency to break out of that and some do but it's extremely difficult and and it is partially the individual but we really have to put a bigger focus on the environment that caused them to be growing up in such negative situations in the first place people say i never could have been a nazi guard i would have definitely rebelled i would have been one of the rebellers there's no way i would have taken those orders or i never would have administered those shocks to participants um it's not true sadly enough the experiment it's been conducted time and time again present day in the past and everyday ordinary people constantly administer these shocks to the participants so this is the power of of authority figures in, in shaping your behavior um and this is just how research can give us insights into these real world situations when you're curious about something that happens in the world as milgram was um interested in the Holocaust and interested in these situations, you can tackle these things through research and determine how they arise. Another uh, big takeaway from Milgram's study was, was in some follow-up studies. He conducted numerous follow-up studies, as did other researchers. Um, and they found that the greater the psychological distance between the teacher and the learner, the more the obedience. So for instance, having the participant direct somebody else to administer the shocks, the compliance shot up to almost 100% at this point, 93%. So in this case, there was an experimenter telling you, the participant, that you had to tell someone else to give the shocks. So this is this chain of command thing that it diffuses the responsibility even more. Because not only was there somebody telling me to do this, but you also told someone else and you didn't even do the act either. So you just feel like you're a, you're in the middle. You had almost no role in this. And this is how Milgram determined how some of these behaviors, negative behaviors, even like in the Nazis, they can precipitate when there's all these different commanders, it just gets passed on from one to the next and everyone just passes it off. And then even the people doing the behavior might not feel a sense of responsibility because they were just taking orders anyway. Look, look at what this experiment has has allowed us to uh, glean insights into. Also, let's talk about some of the individual gender and cultural differences that may have been found in this study. Researchers have identified a few predictors of obedience in Milgram's paradigm. Not every single person is going to have the same level of obedience. Um, Lawrence Kohlberg 
found that the level of moral development was actually negatively correlated with compliance. So this just means that the more morally advanced you are, Kohlberg created a system to figure out how morally advanced people are. Uh, the more morally advanced you are, the more you're willing to defy the experiment and actually stop the study. So more, more moral people, they're not going to uh, keep continuing. Now, on the other hand, in 1972, about 10 years after the Milgram experiment, Elms found that People with high levels of a personality trait called authoritarianism are more likely to comply with the experimenter's demands. People with high levels of authoritarianism see the world as a big hierarchy of power. For them, authority figures are to be respected, not questioned. So it makes sense that these authoritarian individuals would display high levels of obedience in Milgram's paradigm because they look at the experimenter. This, this guy's an authority figure. He's in the gray coat. I got to follow him. I shouldn't question his orders because these authoritarian people, they have such a deep feeling that authority figures are to be respected. Milgram also found no consistent sex differences in obedience. And this finding has held up in later studies of the paradigm. Milgram's findings have also been replicated in many countries. The overall rates of obedience among Americans don't significantly differ from those of non-Americans, including people in Italy, South Africa, Spain, Germany, Australia, uh, and Jordan. So all around the world, this obedience to authority seems to persist. No real sex differences. There are, are some differences in, in your personality traits that can shape it. So if you are, if you feel like you're a very moral person and you say, oh, I would never administer those shocks. Well, maybe you wouldn't because morality does, level of moral development does correlate to you not doing that. But um, I'm sure plenty of those participants felt that they were pretty sound in terms of their moral judgment. And look what they did. They administered almost deadly shocks to a participant. Um, so although it does correlate, you, you don't know what's going to happen when the situation uh, puts its claws into your mind and you're pressured by an experiment or you're pressured by an authority figure to do something. You don't really know what you'll end up doing. What are the ethical issues that we hinted about at the start of this study? We've talked about the results. We'll talk after about the legacy of it and the, the key takeaways really, but We'll, we'll touch on the ethical issues now of <laughs> how these legendary psychology studies always seem to be unethical in some type of way. In the future, we'll perhaps talk about some other ones. I've had ideas about doing episodes, especially about Zimbardo's prison study, which I think may be discussed ad nauseum at this point. And I'm sure a lot of you guys know about it, but uh, it's very interesting. And maybe we'll have an analysis into that one as well. Did Milgram protect his participants. This is a fundamental tenet of any ethical policy. You got to protect your participants here. No matter what finding you make, your, your participants have to be safe here, Milgram. So participants were exposed to extremely stressful situations that may have the potential to cause psychological harm. Many of the participants were visibly distressed during the study. They were trembling, sweating, stuttering, laughing nervously, biting their lips, digging their fingernails into the palm of their hands. Three participants had uncontrollable seizures and many pleaded to be allowed to stop the experiment. But of course, the fake experimenter just had to say, please continue. This experiment requires that you continue. So they were experiencing terrible distress and they weren't even really let out of there or, or they didn't think they would be let out of there. Milgram even described a businessman that was reduced to a twitching, stuttering wreck. So this doesn't sound great for, 
for protecting participants. In his defense, though, Milgram argued that these effects were only short term. Once the participants were debriefed and could see that the learner was actually okay, he never got shocked, their stress levels did decrease and participants were assured that their behavior was common. And Milgram followed up the sample even a year later and he also found that there were no signs of long-term psychological distress. In fact, the majority of participants, 84%, said that they were actually pleased they had participated. So maybe we're making too big of a deal of if he did harm the participants. Um, some were harmed, though 80, only 83% said they were pleased they participated. So um, this is part of the reason why I wouldn't pass ethical review today. He also messed around with the right to withdraw from the study. In studies these days, you need the right to withdraw whenever you ask to do so. Researchers are supposed to make it plain to participants that they're free to withdraw at any time. Did Milgram give his participants an opportunity to withdraw? Well, the four verbal prods Milgram created discouraged withdrawal from the experiment. As we've talked about, he, he created the experiment where the experimenter has to say, please continue. The experiment requires that you continue. It is absolutely essential that you continue or you have no other choice. You must go on. So as a participant, you'd be confused. You'd be like... I have, I do have to continue. Oh man, this isn't good. So he, these days, if you, if you say, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. The experimenter has to let you go. He can't be saying, please continue. It requires you to continue. But Milgram may have had a point in, in saying and having his experimenter say these things while the participant was in the experiment, because it, it could be justified. The study was about obedience, so orders were necessary at some point during the study. So you had to kind of uh, decline their, their want to uh, leave the study. Milgram pointed out that although the right to withdraw was made pretty difficult, it actually still was possible. And 35% of the participants actually did choose to withdraw. So even though the experimenter would say, you must continue, it requires you continue. If they actually wanted to get up and get out, he didn't hold them into the chair and force them to keep going. He said, okay, it's okay that you withdraw from the study. So maybe withdrawal was, was uh, available in Milgram's study. So in, in Milgram's defense, maybe he did make that available. Takeaways and legacy to close it out, you guys. Um, ordinary people are likely to follow orders by an authority figure even to the extent of almost killing a human being and seemingly um, these these same principles take place in the places like the Nazi de death camps or in the Vietnam War. If you're getting orders from an authority figure, um, you follow them is, is what it seems to be. People also tend to obey orders from other people if they recognize their authority as morally right or legally based. This response to legitimate authority is learned in a variety of situations throughout our lives, perhaps, for example, in the family, school and in the workplace. And over time, being a part of the society, you learn what it is to obey to an authority figure. And it gets almost conditioned inside of you to the point where when you get in these difficult situations, you, you end up succumbing to the authority figure because it's such a strong influence on your behavior. And it has been throughout your life from right from Milgram's book he wrote 10 years later called The Perils of Obedience, which is aptly named for the studies he conducted. He says, stark authority was pitted against the participants' strongest moral imperatives against hurting others. And even with the participants' ears ringing with the screams of the victims, authority won more often than not. He says, the extreme willingness of 
adults to go to almost any lengths on the command of an authority constitutes the chief finding of the study and the fact most urgently demanding explanation. Why is it that regular adults go to almost any lengths to succumb to the command of authority rather than just standing up for what they believe and not wanting to hurt a participant? Psychologists do continue to debate whether Milgram's study, though, offers an adequate model of what happened during the Holocaust and um, my lie, the the My Lai massacre. Um, Is it really due to, uh, is Milgram's study really an adequate representation of of what happened in these terrible situations? Well, Milgram's critics note that In contrast to Milgram's participants, some concentration camp guards actively did enjoy torturing innocent people, as it's been reported, or at least so it seemed. So these critics further argue that the destructive obedience on a grand scale probably requires not only an authority figure, like in Milgram's case, but also a core group of genuinely wicked people. And that makes sense. It's not just the authority authority alone that can create such atrocities, there must be some wicked people in the mix too. There are a few really bad apples within a bad system too, perhaps. But those controversies aside, there's no doubt that Stanley Milgram has forever changed how we think about how the behaviors we are capable of committing are due simply to obedience to authority. His work has made us aware that good people can do bad things, or rational people can do rational things. By warning us of these perils, Milgram may have steered us on the path toward guarding against them. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. We're growing our community through word of mouth. So if you like this episode, share it with one person if you want us to grow linearly. Share it with two people if you want us to grow exponentially. Uh, You can also rate, like, comment, follow, subscribe. You guys know all of that. They just all help with the discovery algorithms. But whatever you do to support listening and watching will always be plenty, as I say every time. Thank you, guys. Can't thank you enough for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast. We'll be back next week, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.